In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm Father Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the table alongside Spencer and Ben and others who help us lead this church. Welcome to our weekly Eucharist. As Father Spencer said, we are wrapping up our series on the politics of Jesus, which we subtitled Living the Politics of Jesus in a Partisan America. Um, and this week, we're wrapping up that with Christ the King Sunday, which is uh, sometimes gets missed because it's the Sunday right before Advent. And if you're anything like my eight-year-old, you are ready for Advent. CC has been in the Christmas spirit since uh, when the sugar high wore off after Halloween, probably like early morning, November 1st. She's been wrapping everything in sight, singing Christmas carols decorating. I'm not kidding. She decorates like Buddy the Elf in uh, Manhattan. She just, she cuts everything and hangs everything. It's amazing. And this morning, uh, Cece is really excited about giving gifts. That's one of her primary ways she tells people she loves them. She went out yesterday to the dollar store, spent $10 on 12 gifts for her neighborhood friend, Emma, wrapped them all yesterday, got them, has them ready to go. Uh, I think she's going to give that gift uh, soon. She's not waiting till Christmas. There's no way she can contain. But anyway, we were talking about this this morning, and Cece uh, wanted to put on Christmas music. And um, and we were talking about uh, where we're going to put our Christmas tree, and Sharon looked at me, and she said, I am not looking forward to decorating for Christmas. <laughs> and I looked at Cece, and I said, somebody needs some Christmas spirit. <laughs> and so uh, Cece quoted... Uh, uh, Buddy the Elf, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. So that's um, how she started dancing around and jumping on the couch early this morning. All that all that to say, if you're looking forward to Advent, you're not alone. There's a certain eight-year-old who lives in Fishers that's also looking forward to it. But we're not there yet. We have one more week of Christ uh, of, of, this, of this series on Christ the King Sunday. Consider this the chaser to the politics of Jesus story or the appetizer to Advent either way. We get to talk about judgment and kingdom and Jesus and justice. Here's the good news, church. King Jesus announces the way to eternal life. We love him as we love each other. This love is the justice, the politic. This love is the politic of his kingdom. In our poverty and our weakness, our need, our vulnerability, our shame, our loneliness, Christ is present right there. Church, see Christ in our midst. Church, receive each other as you would, Jesus. This is the uh, Matthew 25. This text is the judgment scene, right? Son of man sitting, glory. There's angels. All the accoutrements are there, as the French say. And this, this judgment scene probably... Uh, uh, Matthew tells us it's the nations, all the nations come to Jesus. It's probably everyone. It's probably Christians and Jews and uh, Gentiles. Everybody's gathered together. And Jesus says that this judgment, the assessment of our lives, is based on how we treat, quote, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. This is in verses 40 and 45. There's been a lot of pages written about the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, but if we, if we, uh, presume that, that Matthew is using this language the way he's used it all throughout his gospel, then what he's probably referring to are the missionaries that were sent out from Jerusalem to talk about Jesus to the world. 
This is probably traveling missionaries. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying the, the way that you treated these traveling missionaries is how you treated me. Now, this is the issue for us, church. Uh, we are about 2,000 years removed from this, and most of us aren't meeting and greeting and feeding and watering <laughs> traveling missionaries on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Yeah, maybe you did this week. You can testify later to that. So on this Christ the King Sunday, what good news can we hear from this passage if we need to appropriate it for ourselves today? How do we hear this for us today? Well, there's two realities of good news in here that I would like to point draw our attention to. The first is, who is this king? And the second is, who inherits his kingdom? I'm going to tell you right up front, no there's no withholding anything here this morning. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you the good stuff right up front. Who is this king? He is the poor, needy, lonely, marginalized, exploited, vulnerable, suffering injustice one. That's who he is. And who inherits his kingdom? Those who love the poor, needy, lonely, suffering injustice, marginalized, exploited, and vulnerable ones. First, King Jesus identifies himself with the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Notice he says, whatever you did, you do to them, you've done to me. Now, there's like a whole class here on uh, how uh, this is patronage kinship logic, that there's Jesus is creating a new family. He's become the patron. Uh, he's giving gifts or benefits to the people who follow him. This is thinking 2,000 years ago and how they would think about things. And so whoever receives from him is identified with him. They receive his honor, his status, his glory, his uh, his um, his privilege as a king. But uh, for our purposes, since we don't live necessarily in a patron-client culture, King Jesus identifies himself with people who suffer. <laughs> Notice he doesn't separate loving God from loving others. To do good to the least of these is to do good to Jesus. He says, you've done it to me. Now, all these things that Jesus describes, people who hunger, people who thirst, strange, people are estranged, they're naked, they're sick, or they're in prison, these are all the ways that the injustices of the world were felt in the first century. The kingdom of Rome, the empire, even those in Israel who are caught up in empire uh, shenanigans, it creates social and economic injustices for those committed to not playing by those rules. Jesus identifies with the socially and economically marginalized because Jesus was the socially and economically marginalized. He was executed as a political prisoner on an execution stake, church. Christ is a king whose cross is, the th is his throne, who had no place to lay his head, who says, I'm thirsty, to a Samaritan woman and during his execution, who is a stranger in his hometown. They try to kill him. He's even a stranger in his own family. They think he's gone nutso. He relied on women to take care of him because this guy, this king, he didn't have a job. 
He dies naked. Naked. Who is so sick over the violence and injustice in Israel that he weeps over Jerusalem and he sweats blood in a garden and he exhausts himself day after day to heal every illness and do battle with every demonic power he sees, who is whipped and mocked and tortured as a political prisoner. Do you see, church? Jesus is a king who endures social, economic marginalization and thereby identifies with the church as they endure it as well. King Jesus announces the way of eternal life. We love him as we love each other. This love is the, the righteousness, the, the justice, the politic of his kingdom. And our poverty and our weakness, our need, our, our vulnerability, our shame, our loneliness. Christ is present there. Church, see Christ in our midst. Church, receive each other as you would a king. Now, the second part is, who inherits the kingdom? Well, it's the righteous, the just. Those who act justly and mercifully towards Christ's family in defiance of unjust social and economic policies of empire. Don't miss this. This, is, this. this can scandalize some Protestants. If you're here today, you may be a Protestant, so hold on to your butts. This could scandalize us a bit. The judgment of Christ, the King, on the world is based ultimately on our participation in kingdom justice. Not what we say. Not what we know. Not what we wish or hope or think. The sheep receive the inheritance because they are full of love and mercy and justice in real, tangible, earthly ways. The lived politic of Jesus in response to others' need is what we're judged by. This is your Christ the King Sunday reminder. Any kingdom justice, any kingdom justice that isn't inherently social, isn't just, and isn't of the kingdom. <laughs> Give food and water and clothes and medicine and relationship and housing and committed relationships. It's a matter of eternal consequence, says King Jesus. Kingdom justice is social justice. When I got ordained uh, many years ago in a denomination far, far away, uh, I studied and wrote papers and then was called into a meeting with what was called the License and Ordination Board. I come into this room, one of those long uh, conference tables, and, and they're all sitting around it, and I'm sitting at one end, you know. And it was basically the time where they were going to grill me on my bona fides, make sure I uh, wasn't going to teach heresy or, you know, knew, knew what I was talking about. Well, they invited my wife to come with me, my wonderful wife. And uh, they told us that they just wanted, the, 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 the auspices were, they just wanted her to be there so they could get to know both of us. We get there. There's some pleasantries exchanged. The first question is lobbed at my wife, Sharon, by this professor at a, a Christian 
college in Chicago, this big guy, giant fingers, his fingers are as big as my wrists. I mean, this guy had blue collar fingers, if you know what I'm saying. And he looks at Sharon and he says, uh, as we begin, I just want to know uh, people in subsistence villages in the middle of Africa who've never heard of Jesus, they die without ever hearing about Jesus. What is the eternal state of that person? Now, I was like 28, 29. I think if I was 44, I would have given that guy the whatnot and then some. But at the time, I was just hoping to get licensed and ordained. And my wife, she did an amazing job. An amazing job. Uh, she said something like, uh, everybody is entrusted in the mercy of Jesus, and I'm not God. I don't have to determine their eternal state, but I trust in uh, X, Y, and Z. Uh, she did a great job answering a question that she was not prepared to answer. But I know the answer he was looking for. And I don't think he would have accepted what we see here in Matthew 25, friends. <laughs> the righteous aren't those who've prayed a prayer. The righteous are those who live by the politic of Jesus, with Jesus's people. So mission, then, this one of the implications of this text for us, mission is an invitation into a way of life full of trusting Jesus. We see humans differently as little Christs. That's how we see each other. We see ourselves differently as part of a larger body of Christ. We see honor and status and power differently as with the poor and the marginalized. We see justice differently as a vindication and reversal of those suffering at the hand of ungodly kingdoms and systems and structures of the world. We see power differently, not as, not as pulling levers in a colonial dominating way over against others, getting them to do something they don't want to do, but rather as a subversive, sacrificial undoing of the hegemony and evil power of empire coming underneath serving sacrificing and leveraging our own status, privilege, strength, resources. Not in an act of benevolent charity, but in a self-emptying act of solidarity with the marginalized. Today, King Jesus announces the way to eternal life. We love him as we love each other. This love is the righteousness, the justice, the politic of Jesus and his kingdom. In our poverty, in our weakness, in our vulnerability, our dependence, our need, our hunger, our shame, our loneliness, Christ is available to us, present right there. Church, see Christ in our midst. Church, receive each other as you would a king. Christ the King uh, is a new feast, one of the newest feasts in the church calendar. Pope Pius XI, I don't even know what he looked like. I just know that's his name. Pope Pius XI in 1925 declared this to be a feast in the Catholic Church, and then a lot of Protestant churches, including Anglican churches, have adopted it as well. But the reason he proposed Christ the King Sunday in 1925 is because he saw the increased secularization and nationalization, nationalism in the world. 
World War I had ended several years prior. All these kingdoms had fallen. All these Christians took up arms against each other and slaughtered each other. Here's his encyclical he wrote. Manifold evils. This is 1925. Manifold evils of the world were due to the fact that the majority of men, 1925, <laughs> had thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of their lives, that these had no place in either private affairs or in politics. And we said further that as long as individuals and states refused to submit to the rule of our Savior, there would be no really hopeful prospect of a lasting peace among nations. A hundred years ago, Pope Pius XI saw the nationalism that had consumed his world and led to violence as a need to hold up Christ as a king to unite all people and all places. And a hundred years later, friends, I would contend we still need Christ the king. But not a king like the world gives. A king who announces his way to inherit his kingdom inheritance, who, who gets to be a citizen of the subject as we love each other as we would love him. And this, this justice, this merciful, righteous justice is the logic, the politic about how he leads and rules. In our poverty, our weakness, our need, our vulnerability, our shame, our loneliness, Christ is present right there. Church, see Christ in our midst. Even on Zoom. Church, receive each other. Serve each other. As you would a king. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.